0: Good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? I'm excited to, uh, to share with you today what I have to bring. I got a word for the herd. All right. Well, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 10. Last week, Pastor Dan covered the whole of chapter 9, and that was very impressive. It's 41, 42 verses. That's quite a feat. Um, That's not a short chapter. It's not the longest chapter in John, but it's certainly not a short chapter. So I'm glad he did that. It set me up to go right into this passage that we are in today, and I am very excited about it. Pastor Dan taught on the healing of the man that was born blind. And Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath, and the religious rulers yet again were totally outraged that Jesus would do such a thing. And so what did they do? They interrogated the man who had been healed, who could now see. They interrogated him repeatedly as to who had healed him and how he had been healed. They even questioned the parents. They wanted the parents to come in and, and kind of testify, "Is this your son? Was he actually born blind? Is he really healed?" And uh, the parents were terrified. They were terrified of the leaders because they didn't want to be cast out. And essentially what that means, you know, we live in kind of a society where ever we're, we're really individualistic. You know, we, we're kind of off on an island in a lot of ways, and we, we may come together and have fellowship in certain contexts, but we can really um, be very independent and, and by ourselves in a lot of ways. I feel like that's the way our society is set up now, and even more so with... Facebook, Meta, Metaverse type stuff. You know what I mean. And so it wasn't that way then. They were really dependent upon community, the religious community, the community of the family, and uh, to be put out of the community, out of the synagogue, the the place of worship, you would lose everything. Totally ostracized, totally out of community. It was a terrifying thing, and they were afraid of that from the religious rulers for test for you know, testifying of Jesus as the Christ. If you were to do such a thing, they had already determined that you would be put out of the community, right? Well, the leaders continued to ridicule this man, and they finally did cast him out of the synagogue. They put him out of the community. But then Jesus caught back up to him immediately after that. In John chapter 9, verse 35, it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? The blind man, the man who had been blind, said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Man, I love that. Some of my favorite verses right there. Jesus finds this man and says, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he's like, I want to know. I want to believe. Who is he? And he said, You have both seen and heard him. That's an amazing thing, I'm sure, for him to hear. Someone say, you have seen him and heard him, and he worshiped and he believed. Well, in chapter 10, Jesus begins using some new terminology here, and this is very dominant in a a large portion of this chapter. He starts talking about shepherds and sheep. He begins to use these powerful analogies of shepherds and sheep. Chuck Swindoll says, if a picture is worth a thousand words, then a symbol is worth a thousand lectures. Jesus understood the power of a familiar image to unlock the mysteries of heaven. And no sight was more common in the first century than that of a shepherd leading his sheep. And so at this point, Jesus seems to be pitting himself, the good shepherd, against the uh, the Pharisees who were the bad shepherds the ones who were not caring for the sheep as they ought, as we just saw play out in chapter 9. They were not taking care of the sheep as they should. We see the treatment of this man and his parents. And then Jesus comes in and we see the kind, tender care of the good shepherd against the backdrop of the poor care of the bad shepherds. One commentary says, In comparison to the Pharisees who were bad leaders of God's people, Jesus was the true shepherd of all of God's people. The healed man who believed in Jesus in the previous chapter represented all believers who would come out of Judaism to follow Jesus as sheep follow their shepherd. And so in a lot of ways, this chapter, this story, is about Jesus calling people out and calling them in. Jesus was calling this blind man out of his blindness, out of this false system of worship that had really been crafted by the Pharisees, out of the care of these bad shepherds, and calling them into his loving care as the good shepherd. Amen? And so these, uh, you know, these two chapters are linked together, and that's very important to keep in mind. Now, shepherding terminology, man, this is used all throughout the Bible, Shepherding terminology. So important. God often uses this language of Himself. He uses it in the Old Testament. It's very prominent in the New Testament. Psalm 100, verse 3. It says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Amen? <clears throat> we are the sheep of His pasture. Of course, we all know Psalm 23, uh, verses 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. <clears throat> he is indeed the good shepherd. Isaiah forty eleven, <clears throat> excuse me, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And of course, in the New Testament, 1 Peter 2.25, it says, for you, your, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So, God is a shepherd. Jesus is a shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. We are the sheep of his pasture. And we experience the kind and the loving care of our good shepherd. Amen? Now, God expected his leaders to shepherd his people accordingly in accordance with his own heart for his own people. In Ezekiel, God indicted the leaders of Israel for failing to do that. They were bad shepherds. They were derelict shepherds. And so God said that he himself would do what they failed to do. Ezekiel 34, it says, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search out for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. Amen to that. And of course, Jesus came to the children of Israel as a compassionate shepherd. In Mark six thirty-four, it says, And Jesus, when he came out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So it's so important that we understand this, the language, kind of the idea of this. This may not be very familiar to us, the language of sheep and shepherding. Um, some people have even argued that this is archaic, it's, it's old, it's outdated. We shouldn't even talk about sheep and shepherding anymore. We should be thinking more along the lines of CEO and business model type stuff. But I would uh, say that's patently false. Nothing could be further from the truth. We need to understand What Jesus was saying, what he was pointing to, what he was communicating, we need to put ourselves back in that context so we can best understand what that means for us as the sheep of his pasture and what we can expect from the good shepherd. Amen? Well, that's essentially what we see unfold in chapter 10. Jesus is the good shepherd and he has come to gather his sheep and to care for them properly. As I said, this appears to be taking place right in front of the man who had been blind and the Pharisees. We're still right there in that scenario. And that's something that we should keep in our minds as we work our way through this text in chapter 10. Chapter 9 is the backdrop to what we're looking at. So let's just think through this. We had this man who was born blind. Now that's a serious situation. I mean, that's that's tragic and as bad as it could be anyway. But in that culture, that was, that was, a, a, you were about as destitute as you could be. It sounds like his parents were obviously there, so I assume that they cared for him to some degree. Had he not had his parents, it would have been as bad as it could have been. But you remember the disciples asked the question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That was the way that the society looked at people that had that plight. And so he just had this, um, he had this, uh, the shame over himself and his family all of his life carried this shame they were outcasts the people saw them as sinners and that they had brought this on themselves somehow that he was born blind and when he was healed everyone should have celebrated this is incredible nothing like this had happened before before jesus And the leaders, the religious leaders, should have been the first to celebrate and to give God the glory for what He was doing in Israel in their time and place. But instead, they scorned this man. Even the parents were too afraid to rejoice over their son. Could you imagine that? How excited would you be for your child to be healed in that way and then not even be able to celebrate it because you're too afraid of the supposed shepherds of the people, of God's. People. You know, worst of all, at the moment that it seemed as though this man would finally be in community for the first time in his life, he's instantly kicked out of the community that he was so eager to be a part of. That's terrible, isn't it? Again, by the supposed shepherds of God's people. So truly, the contrast between Jesus, the good shepherd, and the Pharisees, the bad shepherds, is on full display. And today we learn the care that we receive from the good shepherd in our own lives. So with that, let's take a look at uh, the first couple of verses. I've titled this message, In the Care of the Good Shepherd. It's a good place to be, amen? It's the best place to be. It's the place that I long to be. And so the first point that we will see is that Jesus is the rightful shepherd of God's people. He is the rightful shepherd of God's people. Verse 1, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So here Jesus begins to use the language of shepherd sheep and the sheepfold, and I would say it's very helpful and needful to understand something of the kind of shepherding that's going on here, Middle Eastern shepherding. Now the sheep, they would uh, be predominantly harvesting wool, and so they would raise, uh, the shepherds would raise the sheep for this very purpose. And they would grow very thick wool and it would be shaved off. And this was very valuable, very, very valuable commodity. And sheep were extremely dependent upon the shepherd in all aspects of survival. And people will go on and on about sheep and how stupid they are and all that stuff. And I think people go to, you know, I think maybe for a laugh, they go a little too far with that analogy. But they really were dependent in every way on the shepherd for survival in every single way. And so there was a very special aspect, a very special bond that would happen between the shepherd and the sheep. It's even said that the shepherd would name each sheep individually and kind of knew each sheep. And Jesus even says, I call them by name, as we'll see. And so the sheep would graze openly by day as the shepherd would lead them to good pasture. But then, of course, for their own safety, they would be led to a nearby pen at night where they would uh, find safety and shelter for the evening away from the elements, away from predators, away from thieves and such. And this could look different. I think uh, we have a couple of images up here that... uh, And that's going to, I think, make sense to us as we work our way through the text. In fact, Jesus already said He's the door. Actually, we hadn't got that far. Spoiler alert. Jesus is the door. And so I think it's just good for us to kind of have you know, a little bit of a picture in our mind of what it will look, look like in Jesus' day. I'm sure it still looks very much that way in a lot of places where shepherding goes on in the Middle East. And so Jesus said that He has rightful entry into the sheepfold. There are those who do not have the right to enter in, and they climb up some other way. And Jesus said, those are thieves and robbers, but the one who enters by the door is truly the sheep, the shepherd of the sheep. Anybody who would try to enter in some other way had malicious intentions. Bottom line, point blank. There was one who had legitimate access and that is the good shepherd. So, with that, let me just kind of ask some personal questions. He has rightful access to God's sheep alone. God has bestowed upon him that privilege as the son of God and the shepherd of God's sheep. Does he have rightful access to our lives? We are the sheep of his pasture, the sheep of his fold. Do we allow him the access that he deserves in our lives or Are our lives kind of compartmentalized? There are certain things that we're very happy for Jesus to have his way in and to speak to by his word. But there are other things that's like, Jesus, you cannot touch this, hands off. And maybe we wouldn't even say it that way, but perhaps we're living that way, right? And that's something that we always have to do a little inventory on. And I'm sure that we can all relate a little bit with that. Jesus is the shepherd of our souls. He's the Lord of our lives. He has the absolute right to anything and everything in our lives. That's why I love that prayer that David prayed. Search me, know me, show me. Is there anything in my life that needs to go? Any way whatsoever in me that needs to go? And so obviously that's paraphrased, but that's kind of the idea here. Jesus is the true shepherd. Do we give him the right to shepherd our lives accordingly? According to God's heart, according to God's word, according to our best and greatest needs. Do we acknowledge His leadership and consider His will? This is probably one of the things that we can relate with, I think, the most, and is constantly the struggle for me. But do we even acknowledge the Good Shepherd in our day-to-day living and how God would lead us? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall what? direct your paths. I bet we all know that verse in here. I bet we have heard it a thousand times, and I hope this is not one of those verses that has lost its impact in our lives. It's one of the first verses that I ever learned, and it was glorious, and it is still glorious to me today because that is easier said than done easier said than done when I come to realize that I'm not really doing such a good job with that in my own life. It's easy to quote. You might even have it on a coffee cup somewhere in your house or on a, on, you know, a picture on the wall or in your bathroom or something like that. But do we really do it? Do we trust the Lord with all of our hearts? Do we trust Him to lead and to care for us in our lives? Do we lean on our own understanding? Do we guide our own lives based on what seems good and right to us? Or do we acknowledge Him? Do we stop and think, Lord, how would you have me go in this area? What is God's best will for my life here and now? God, what would please you and bring you the most glory? Do we stop and acknowledge those things? If we do, we're told that He will indeed direct us. He will guide us. He will lead us. He will shepherd us. Amen? You know, David was a man who regularly inquired of the Lord. I love that. So often, when he wanted to make a, a, a huge decision as the shepherd of God's people, we're told that David inquired of the Lord. He asked God, what should he do? And God led him. You know, there were times when he didn't do that. You remember when the Ark of the Covenant, he brought the Ark in, and that went all bad. He didn't inquire of the Lord. He didn't look to the Scriptures to see how they were to care for this most holy object of worship. And, uh, man, things went bad. If you know the story of Uzzah. Joshua, a leader of God's people, a shepherd of the people, he presumed upon the Lord at one point, and he made a deal with the Gibeonites. I can't really go too deep into that, but these people knew that the Israelites were coming, and they were, they were taken over. They were a force to be reckoned with, and people were scared of them. And they had their marching orders to go in and to conquer the land. And those people knew the Israelites are coming for us. So what did they do? They came, and they put on clothes that were old and worn out and shoes that were worn out and they had moldy bread in their bag. And they said, look, we've traveled from a long way away. When in reality, they were probably just, you know, a few miles away, but they gave the appearance that they came from a far and distant land. And they were like, let's just make a little deal that, uh, you won't, you won't conquer our land. And Joshua was like, seems good. Seems good. You know, this checks out. They appear to be from a land far away. I mean, look at their clothes and everything. And he made a deal, and they got him. They duped him. And you know what? He did not inquire of the Lord. He just moved out because it looked, looked good, sounded good. It looked right. It seemed right. And you know, that is a struggle, I think, for all of us. Uh, seems like a good idea. How often do we go for things based on that alone? aloneness? Pragmatism. Hey, if it works, you know, if it works, if it seems like it'll be effective, then just roll out. Let's go for it. And sometimes we just have to really stop, wait, pray, consider, seek counsel, read the Word, and really try to glean God's best for our lives, really try to discern God's best for our lives, instead of just moving out because it seems like the right or the good thing to do. Amen? Do we allow Jesus to shepherd us in accordance with his word? You know, the Bible said that God's word is a lamp to our feet. You know, it's a light unto our path. What does that mean? It gives us clarity to see and direction uh, when we move. And so, do we go to God's word? Are we regularly taking in God's word? Are we allowing God's word to to be the light onto our path for Jesus to shepherd us in accordance with his word, which is God's heart, God's revealed truth, God's best for our lives? Are we allowing Jesus to shepherd us by his word in our marriages, in our thought life? How's your thought life doing? How's that going? Our attitudes, how we treat one another, how we treat our family, co-workers, employees, employers, our language, our speech, our uh, work ethic, our interpersonal relationships, the things that we are entertained by, major decisions. Are we looking to the great shepherd, the good shepherd to lead us according to his word and all of these very important aspects of our lives You know, do we insist on shepherding ourselves? I think this is something that we all too commonly run into, Uh, and judges that we're told that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That's a dangerous place to be. You know, I'll determine what's right and what's wrong for my life. I'll determine what's best for me, which direction I want to go. You know, that's uh, something that we have to be very careful about. It's deadly dangerous. What does the Lord say? What is right in His eyes? What does His Word say? Are we being shepherded according to God's heart? In all of these very important areas of our lives, what are we led by? Are we led by fear? Do you allow fear to dictate how you live your lives? Are you crippled? Are you paralyzed by fear? You know? Anxiety? We live in an age of fear and outrage and anxiety, and the more and more that we look at what's going on around us, it just does that to us more and more, does it not? And we can allow that to control us. Are we led by ambition? We got big plans, big dreams, right? There's nothing wrong with that, but is it God's best? Is it God's dreams for your life? that's what we got to watch out for because Jesus said we got to take up our cross. We have to die to ourselves and we have to live for him. What's his best for your lives? And that can look very different from person to person. But do we stop and think about that? Am I living God's best? Am I living my life in a way that best honors the Lord? Is he really shepherding me? You know, are we being shepherded by the world? Are we shepherded by the world, worldliness, what the world says is good and right, what the world says is best? Because this world is getting crazier all the time, crazier all the time. And, uh, you know, there's something I was going to say at this point, but I don't know if I will. I'll just keep moving. So, God is the rightful shepherd of His people. Jesus is the rightful shepherd to God's people. Next point. God's people know the voice of their shepherd. God's people know the voice of the good shepherd. Verse 3. To Him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear His voice, and He calls His own sheep by name, and He leads them out. And when He brings out His own sheep... He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Man, I love those verses. You know, when the, sheep, when the shepherd is deep in the wilderness, he needs to construct uh, his own little makeshift pen. I would say that's much like the sticks that were all thrown together. You have to kind of do the best ca- you can with what you got. Sometimes they would lead him into a cave or something that just kind of naturally had boundaries that they could kind of put the sheep in and guard the outer entrance. Um, But a lot of times they would be close to town and they would lead the sheep back into town and there would be a a communal pen. And I think that's more like what we saw with the rock structure. And there would be uh, multiple flocks at times that would be kept in that same pen. And they might have different shepherds who would take turns guarding the doorway. And so there would be a doorkeeper, one who would open to the shepherd, and then the shepherd would call his flock out. That's kind of crazy to think that you would have all of these sheep mixed together, and you'd have all these different shepherds, and you think, how in the world? You look at the sheep, they all look the same, and you're like, how in the world are they going to know which sheep are theirs and which are not? It just seems like that would be a disaster, doesn't it? Well, what is fascinating is that the shepherds could separate their flocks simply by calling them, simply by calling them and sometimes even calling them by their name. Uh, There was an author in 1934, he wrote this, his name was H.V. Morton, and he said, "'Early one morning I saw an extraordinary sight not far from Bethlehem. Two shepherds had evidently spent the night with their flocks in a cave, and the sheep were all mixed together, and the time had come for the shepherds to go in different directions.' One of the shepherds stood some distance from the sheep and began to call. First one, then another, then four or five animals ran toward him, and so on until he had counted his whole flock. Now this fits perfectly with Jesus' words that he goes before the sheep and they follow him for they know his voice. When you understand that about... Uh, shepherds and sheep and that culture and the way that they went about doing it, you can see how this would make perfect sense to the people when Jesus talked about it. And so just as a shepherd could stand outside of the sheepfold and begin to call his sheep, and they knew the voice of their shepherd, and they would go towards him, and the other sheep would not. That's amazing to me. Jesus said, in the same way, I go before my sheep, they follow me because they know my voice. They know the voice of their good shepherd. That's glorious. Now, people often interpret this verse as almost like, um, I don't know if spiritual intuition is the right word, but like um, often you'll hear the phrase that still small voice, right? You just kind of have this inclination in you that God is leading you in a certain direction. And I don't want to take away from that or minimize that. I think God does... Uh, compel us at times. or just something in us. Uh, you know, we zig instead of zag. You know, we, we just go this direction instead of that direction. We don't even necessarily know why, but God is providentially working around us all the time, and He works supernaturally in the natural, and His perfect plan is coming together, and it all seems so very normal to us. And indeed, God does convict us. He convicts our hearts. He leads us. He guides us, And so, you know, I think that there are times when you know the right thing to do and you sense very deeply that the Lord is speaking to your heart. The Good Shepherd is calling you, He's leading you, and I think that's awesome because our our God lives, amen? Jesus is risen, and we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and God interacts with us and He leads His people as a Good Shepherd, and He leads His people well. But I would say that really the, the first and foremost uh, interpretation of this is He calls us to eternal life. That's the idea. We are looking at I am statements here, and these most always deal with eternal life. And He's saying, when Jesus calls, calls the sheep, they come. When He speaks into your life, and He calls your name, you come. Amen. The Good Shepherd is calling God's people, calling them out of darkness and into light, calling them out of death and into life. And when the Good Shepherd calls, you know His voice and you come. Now, on a a broader applicational level, I think the idea here is, man, when you hear the truth, you know the truth. Because it's God's truth. It's Jesus' truth. And He's our shepherd. Amen? We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we hear the truth, we know it. And this goes back to John chapter 8. Jesus has already been talking about this. He says, If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth will make you free. You're going to know the truth. If you belong to Jesus, if you are His disciple... If God has called you into his sheepfold, as it were, then you're going to know the voice of the shepherd, and you will respond. And we know this. You know when you're in God's Word, and you just hear the very thing that you needed to hear. God has spoken to you by his Word. Isn't that awesome when it happens? It doesn't always happen. You know, I I love to read my Bible and I I really spend time with God when I do that and and pray and just want to be really uh, with God in in my quiet times. But it's not often that I'll read something and it just, you know, punches me right in the throat, lovingly, of course. Um, But when it does, and I just know I've heard from the Lord and it's very specific to me, man, that is glorious, isn't it? That's a great thing. And we, can, we have that as the sheep of the good shepherd. We know the truth when we hear it. The truth sets us free. And if we are indeed His sheep, we'll continue on in His word. If we are His disciples, we will continue on in His word. And that is the chief instrument by which He shepherds us, is by His word. Amen? Well, verse 5, it says, "...yet they will by no means follow a stranger." but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Now, that's an interesting note. You know, he's talking to the Pharisees here, and John notes that they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Jesus just said that his sheep hear his voice, and they follow him. But these people did not understand. So it's almost as if John's making case in point, these are not his sheep. They are enemies of Jesus, enemies of the cross, antagonizers, and they were only trying to trip Jesus up and ultimately destroy Him. They did not care about Jesus' sheep. They didn't care about God's flock, and they did not hear the voice of the shepherd. Jesus said, God's sheep flee from the voice of a stranger. And I think this speaks of the discernment that we have as God's people when we hear false voices, voices that are not the good shepherd. You know, what is the voice of a stranger? It's a voice which is alien. It's foreign to the truth of God. And John talks about that. We have this built-in discernment, this anointing he calls it, where when we hear the truth, we know it. And when we hear something that doesn't line up, we know it. That's kind of one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit that we have. Amen? And Jesus says that my sheep hear me and they follow, but they're not going to follow the voice of a stranger. They're going to go in the other direction. And so we need to be wise in that. We need to be solid in the words of our Lord Jesus, solid in His words, so that we can better exercise discernment in this age in which we live. Because there are a lot of voices out there. There are a lot of strange and false voices that are not of God, not of, not of the, the Lord, not of His Word. It's of this world. It's of Satan. And they're all around us. And they're pressing in on us all the time. And they're screaming louder and louder and louder. And they're becoming more forceful and more forceful. And so we cannot, we cannot, you know, be vulnerable to that. We need to be in God's Word equipped in it and know the truth when we hear it and know that which is counterfeit when we hear it. And this brings us to our third and final point. And this is so good. God's people thrive under the care of the Good Shepherd. Amen? God's people thrive under the care of the Good Shepherd. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before Me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. So this brings us to the third of the seven I am statements unique to the Gospel of John, seven times he will say, I am, ego, I me in the Greek, which has strong ties to God's name uh, as laid out in Exodus 3. I am, that I am, I am. And then Jesus says, I am. And here he says, I am the door. And so Jesus has access, rightful access to God's people. But here Jesus says that he is the door. He is the access point to God's fold. He is the one through whom you must enter to enter into God's blessing, God's sheepfold. Now, I already showed you the picture of the shepherd sleeping in the doorway. And so when Jesus says, I am the the door, I'm sure that people saw that in their minds. And yet again, this kind of goes back to that picture of the uh, the shepherd guarding the sheep. He is the one in the doorway who keeps the sheep in in safety and keeps the predators out. And he sleeps right there. They literally would have to come over his body to get out or for the, the predators to get in. And so that just draws really strong imagery there of our good shepherd, his protection for us. Keeping the wolves away, keeping the danger out, and keeping us safely in his care. But I think that uh, this really goes even deeper, and it speaks spiritually to what I've already said, and that is that Jesus is the entry point. We come into God's kingdom through Jesus, amen? There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we might be saved, Acts 4.12. Jesus said that He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life, amen? Amen. It is through Jesus Christ that we have access into such a glorious faith. And it's through Christ alone. He is the door. I used to work at a wood shop, and we we made wood doors for cabinet makers and stuff. And uh, it was a Christian-owned business, and the guy had this verse on the business card, Jesus is the door. We might make doors, but Jesus is the door. And I always loved that, and I also thought, man, we better do a good job uh, of being a Christian business because it's right there on the card now. And so once you say that, you better, uh, better live up to it. That's why I don't necessarily encourage Christian bumper stickers uh, because, man, you better, you better drive like a Christian. <laughs> Anyways, that aside. So have you entered in through the door? You're either out or you're in. You're either a saint or you ain't. And so have you entered in through the door? Have you trusted Jesus Christ for salvation? Are you on the inside of God's sheepfold? Or are you out in the world? Are you out in the world separated from the loving care of a good shepherd? Are you vulnerable? Are you vulnerable to the attack of this world and the wolves and so on and so forth? Have you entered in? Have you believed in Jesus Christ? Have you called upon Him to save you, to forgive you? to make God your heavenly Father. If you haven't, then I pray that today would be the day. And you can talk to me after service. I would love, love to talk to you about that. But to the believers, you know, we have entered in, but I would ask, are we regularly entering in? Are we regularly going before the throne of grace? Are we regularly entering in to God's presence, as it were, through prayer, through meditation, through scripture reading, through Bible study, through worship, through fellowship. I love Hebrews 4.16, uh, 16. it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Folks, because of Jesus, because Jesus is the door, we have access into the throne room of grace. And we don't come in with fear. We don't come in with terror or torment because God is not our judge. He is our loving Heavenly Father. He invites us in. And what is the promise? That we can obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. How wonderful is that? Do you need grace? Do you need mercy? Do you need help? Are you in a time of need? Well, then you have all that you need in Jesus Christ. You have access into the throne room of grace. So are we entering in, brothers and sisters? Well, verse 9, it says, "'I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy.'" I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus says that the one who enters in by him will be saved. Saved from imminent danger and threat. Saved from the wolves. Saved from the thieves. And we know this ultimately we're saved. Saved from God's wrath. Saved from sin. Saved from hell. We are saved from the power of Satan. One day we'll be saved from the very presence of sin itself when we stand in the presence of God. And the promise there is that we will go in and out. We will go in and out and find pasture. Now, I think there's some significance to this. We will be able to move freely and safely and flourish. That's what it is to move in and out. You know, when we are crippled with fear, we're paralyzed paralyzed, you know. I know what it was like to live in that place. I used to live in extreme paranoia and fear all the time, afraid of the police. You know, I lived a life of, of, you know, criminal activity. And I could tell you guys so many stories. And I knew a guy that he was so crippled by fear and paranoia that he would stand guard at his front door on the inside and pull up a chair and watch the doorknob in case it started to move. Because, you know, that might be, you know, the police or something, and he would have to uh, escape. And if he had to leave his post, he would have to have someone else come and sit at the chair and watch the doorknob. And so, you know, that's a pretty extreme example. But I know what it is to be paralyzed and crippled by fear and guilt. Because I was guilty. I was guilty. And here we're told that in the care and the love of the good shepherd, we go in and out. We move freely. We move freely and safely. We flourish. Going in and out speaks of day-to-day living in the Lord. Coming and going. Going in and out. Going into the sheepfold and being close to the shepherd. Do we do that? Do we go into the presence of the Lord and receive strength and encouragement from Him? Do we go out into the world in which we live, but still we're led by the Good Shepherd, even in all of that? That's kind of the idea, you know, just going in and out. And that's really where Christianity has lived. Sometimes we come to the Lord and we're so fired up and excited, but eventually that kind of wears off. Maybe not permanently, but then we have to start walking through the valleys, right? And Christianity, i got to tell you, in a lot of ways it's just the mundane. It's just not turning to the left or the right. It's just staying faithful. It's walking with the Lord and doing what you know you need to do even when you don't feel like it. Amen? That's the going in and going out of the Christian life. And when we're going through those valleys, we have the promise that the Good Shepherd is with us. You know, have we ever considered the fact that when we're experiencing difficulties, which many of us might be right now, it's because the Good Shepherd who protects us has allowed it for His purposes and for our good? Have we considered the fact that maybe He led us right into it for His purposes and for our good? Do we take solace in the fact that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Good Shepherd is with us and for us? That takes real intentionality because I usually don't. I'm usually just freaking out and thinking, how can I get out of this valley? (laughs) You know, as quickly and painlessly as possible. I don't just... I have been lately trying to be much more intentional about that. Thank you for this trial because I know you're doing something good in me and that's more important than anything. And so help me, Lord. You know how many times I have preached from this pulpit, don't pray yourself out from underneath the trial? And then uh, th- I remember that and I think, now I've got to walk it out. It's easy for me to stand up here and say that and beat on the pulpit and get all excited about it, but when it's my turn, I've got I to man up I got to take my own medicine, right? And so I've just been coming to find joy in that. That I'm trusting that what the Lord is doing in me in this season and through all of us as we are being sanctified through hardship and difficulty is worth it. It's glorious when the fruit comes forth. The thief does not come to nourish, he doesn't care about us flourishing, he comes to bring destruction. Jesus said He came to bring abundant life. Again, I would say this speaks of eternal life, but I would, uh, I would certainly say this does not speak of abundant comfort and riches, as you know some pastors love to preach. This speaks of something deeper, and I want to close with this. Something very deep and something very rich. It is a fruitful life. The kind of fruit that God desires to bring into our lives. When Jesus said, I come that you may have life and have it abundantly, it's a God-blessed, fruitful life. It is to know God as our Father and to have fellowship with Him, here and now, here and now. It's to belong to the body of Christ and to enjoy Christian fellowship, brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ. It's to be useful for God's purposes and to serve Him, to serve Him. That's a fruitful life. That's, a, that's life abundantly. That's abundant life. It's to suffer well for His glory and for our own sanctification. That's a foreign concept to Christianity, but it's one that we need to rediscover is that suffering well is a part of Christianity. There will be suffering. Bank, you can count on that. Take it to the bank. Do we glorify Christ in the midst of the suffering? Do we receive it from the hand of a good shepherd and let it have its work in us? Do we praise Him for it even? To have peace and joy and contentment in this life. We can have that. That's the abundant life. To be able to rest in God's sovereignty and His providence. A loving God who works all things together after the counsel of His will and for our ultimate good. That's the abundant life. And you know what? The enemy wants to take that away. The enemy has come to steal that from you. He has come to kill and to destroy. That's abundant life. The enemy doesn't want us in fellowship with each other. The enemy doesn't want us useful for God and serving His purposes. The enemy doesn't want us growing in God's grace and strength through trials and tribulations. The enemy doesn't want us having fellowship with God. He would have us be in sin and be separated from God in relationship the enemy does not want us to have peace and joy and contentment and satisfaction in this life. The enemy doesn't want us to rejoice in God's sovereignty and providence. He wants to steal that from us. But Jesus has come as the Good Shepherd to ensure that all of that is ours in Him. That we are in His loving hand and nothing can separate us from His care. Amen? Amen. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No one can snatch us out of the hand of the Good Shepherd. So let us rejoice in that. Celebrate the Good Shepherd. Let us keep ourselves under the spout where the blessings flow out. Let's stay close to the Shepherd. Let's stay in the sheepfold. Remember that He has access, rightful access to us. Amen? Let's remember that He came to give life and to give it Abundantly, He knows you, He knows every single one of you, He knows me, He knows us all, He knows our cares, our needs, our hurts, our deepest longings, He knows us all by name. He's our good shepherd, and He loves us so much so that He died for us, He gave Himself on the cross, and bore our sins there in God's righteous wrath and judgment on the tree. He did that for us in love, amen. He did that so that we could have life and have it abundantly. Praise God that we have it, amen? Amen. Praise Him. Lord Jesus, thank You that You are the shepherd of our souls. You are the chief shepherd. We honor You, Lord. Thank You that You are our king and that You go before us and You call us by name. Lord, help us to follow You. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard, Lord, but Lord, we want to follow You. We want to walk with You. Thank You that we can. You give us grace, mercy, strength by Your Holy Spirit. There's no life greater than the life of following after You, Jesus. And so we praise You and we thank You. In Jesus' name, amen.